Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich. And I'm Olivia Kane. And welcome to the Weekly Typographic. A podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Hi, Olivia. Hi, Micah. <laughs> it has been a hectic week, my friend. I know, a lot going on. It's only Thursday. Type Weekend has been announced and open for registration. All the speakers and reviewers got announced on Saturday. I'm super hyped. I'm going to be representing the league there and, you know, talking about type history. It's going to be similar to some past nerd alerts we used to have, except we're going to have some visuals and you'll see my face and some slides I put together. <laughs> it's going to be really fun. We're going to, you know, post some details about that. We have a lot of friends that are speaking. I think it's just going to be really great. And there's a lot of people speaking. And a lot of people registered to go. Yeah, yeah. I realized um, this morning that I actually had not registered. I just assumed that I had, but now I am. Yeah, I'm for I'm sure going. It's going to be really fun. And there's actually there's a bunch of workshops. I think they all filled up really fast, but there's one about sign painting with brushes. Oh, that's yes. neat. Registration opens Saturday morning, and I'm going to be ready and waiting. <laughs> I mean, there's positive things happening in the community, exciting stuff. Um, also, like, announcement to anyone interested in calligraphy. I know that's tangential, but the guild I'm a part of, Society of Scribes, is gifting a free basic membership for 2020 right now. And so anyone that's interested in taking calligraphy classes, um, the guild, you know, is open to all levels. You don't have to know anything. There's a class by Luca Barcelona, who is, like, my favorite living calligrapher that I'm taking next month. So, you know, you can pay for classes, but the membership allows you early access to them. So highly encourage everyone. If anyone wants to talk to me about it, you know, you can reach out to me on social media, the leagues, Instagram, but a little PSA. That's exciting. Yeah. All right. And give us a hint. So we were obviously going to talk about cool links that we found this week, but give us a hint of what we're talking about because we're still sort of in the land of topics related to licensing, right? Heck yeah, we are. We are talking about the difference between a font and a typeface and why it matters to know the difference between them and when it matters to know the difference between them and how it relates to licensing and copyright intellectual property but we're gonna make it fun i know those last words didn't sound fun we're gonna make it fun <laughs> it's one of those things that uh, a lot of people ask when they first find the league and start asking questions about stuff like oh wait i thought they were the same thing and it's a it's a thing that is a little bit more detailed than people realize and mm -hmm. uh is like exceptionally useful practical information i have sitting in the back of your head yes and we're gonna kind of discuss the past use of the word font and how that's changed over the years and like where i think it's going in the future i'm making predictions everybody mm. <laughs> Very excited. Futurist Olivia. Even more excited to talk about our first article we're sharing this week. And that is from Klim Type Foundry, one of our favorite foundries, just making like crazy, amazing, high quality type over there in New Zealand. And so they just released a new serif font signifier and serif typeface. Now I'm going to be like on my back <laughs> to make sure I get the right words. Um, so it is what they're calling a brutalist response to 17th century typefaces. What's super interesting is, first of all, how detailed this article is. I haven't read an article this detailed about literally ground zero designing a typeface to the very end. This is wild. This is crazy. And it's, it's a beautiful typeface. I'm pretty sure the whole article is set in it. And as you can see, it's incredibly legible, just like really elegant. I think Chris Sowersby, who, you know, kind of is the head of Klim Type, 
just has a really interesting perspective. And I think I would definitely check out other articles he's written for his really unique perspective on designing type. But he talks about how he was doing a revival of the 17th century typeface. And he started out just kind of doing some basic outlines of the type. And was like, this looks nice, you know, with the roundedness of old style typography, very basic type. If you want some sort of visualization, kind of imagine Times New Roman. And then he pushed it to the limits of seeing okay, well, how would 17th century type be made in a contemporary way? What's a contemporary interpretation of this? Um, And really leaned into using technology and what we're using today to craft type to determine this, which sounds a little bit abstract, but, you know, he has great visuals to go along with this whole process, talks about how he then talks through the whole process of designing this Roman and then how he decides to complement it with an italic, which is interesting. No one ever really talks about how they convert the Roman to an italic. Incredibly educational for anyone interested in type design. Um, talks about interpolation towards the end of how to make different weights um, and his thinking behind it. People he was testing the typeface out with. And guys, go read this. It's so good. <laughs> I have to say, uh, brutalist is one of those words that came up in recent design discussions for me of mm-hmm. like, I, I don't know what the heck that means. And I think Ooh. this is actually an interesting example. I'm sure you have much more detailed answer to this, but this is an interesting visual example to see this and be like, see version one, where it just kind of looks like, uh, you know, Times New Roman or, or whatever, like a nice, pleasant uh, serif font. And then to see the rest of the detail, how suddenly like there were weird nooks in the curves and like chunks taken out of certain parts of the letters where it still was super legible, but just like, where it was a nice flowing line, suddenly it's like crooked and kind of chopped off. And that's really interesting. What's super interesting, because Brutalist kind of seems like, oh yeah, Brutalist architecture, where everything's just slabs of cement. I mean, that's honestly what typically comes to my mind. And he actually thinks a lot about the term Brutalist and what that means and offers this other meaning. Um, And he's quoting Peter Smithson by saying, Brutalism is not concerned with the material as such, but rather the quality of the material. That is with the question, what can it do? And so I think like Chris Arsby really just like goes into some very fundamentals of Bezier curves and just talks about the nature of Bezier curves and how they're just equations. Like this is going very deep into the meaning of craft and making type design today. And I think he asked some really interesting questions. Shoot, wow. Everyone's been sharing this on, on type Twitter these past couple of weeks. And so we definitely are happy to share There's like our- detailed insight into the mind of what at least I consider to be like one of the top professionals in the industry. Totally. And he does this with a lot of his type. And I, I really admire that because this clearly takes a lot of time. It takes a lot of time to talk through a process. It takes a lot of time to design this incredibly well-designed article. Like I'm just very overall, very impressed. Yeah. Great find, Olivia. Thank you. Excited to share. Also incredibly excited to share our next link, Freelancer Resources. So this is amazing. It's for our freelance friends, for just like anyone else as well that maybe wants to do design and do gigs and do projects. I think there's a lot of people taking on extra gigs, extra projects these days. And this website offers so many tools with, you know, different tools you can use for keeping track of the time you're spending on projects to how to manage your social media, to building a website, to books and podcasts, ways to help with your invoicing, to make it more streamlined. It's a great 
beautifully designed site as well. Really easy to digest. And just, I'm excited to go through all these resources. Yeah, there is a lot of stuff in here in all kinds of categories. Yeah. I'm super excited to scour the podcast series. I feel like I could use some new podcasts on freelancing. I know one or two of these. I listen to a couple of these. And I mean, I personally can recommend Double Your Freelancing. That's a friend of mine who did a whole bunch of books and courses on how to be a successful freelancer. And like his mm-hmm. work is amazing. Okay. Well, I'm definitely saving that for my next podcast work sesh. Totes. So good. So yeah, definitely check it out. I'm super excited to promote this collection of resources. And I use several of these. I use Toggle to keep track of my time for projects um, when I'm working hourly. Uh, I also have used Squarespace in the past. I We use Notion a lot here at the league. I think that's something that you're all going to love. So check it out. All right, back to type design nerd news. Um, so this article is from AIGA's Ion Design blog, as we all know, one of my faves. Okay, so it's kind of telling the world about a new typeface called Sisters, which is a family of fonts that pay homage to creative women. Um, so this is actually, I think it's so interesting. I'm seeing this a lot. It was made originally for an exhibition at La Panera Art Center, in Spain and you know they thought the typeface had so much potential they developed a huge family now and it's now by the foundry typo tones and the designer is Laura Maysager so the whole family consists of a bunch of stencil fonts and I think it's really interesting you could see they change in weight and they change in amount of components added onto it it feels very like art deco you know yeah. some of the some of the Letter forms are really, really skinny. Others are full-bodied, like the O and the G. Just fun to look at. And interestingly, I'd never really heard of this foundry before, but they have a right? lot of cool fonts. Yeah, I think Laura Maysager was has been practicing for a long time. I've heard her name bounced around a lot, so I'm curious if she's done work for other foundries in the past, because same, I didn't know type O tones, but they have some cool stuff. I'm checking out their website literally as we are speaking, and there's a lot of cool fonts. And one of them that uh, I I just have to call out, it's called, I assume it's pronounced Din Osor. Oh my God, I see it. And you know I love a pun. I know. And And I love Din. I mean, this is like a, a neat, quirky take on Din, but still great. Yeah, it's a rounded sort of Din. It's nice though. I could totally use this. I know your dream is to have a Din for the league. Yeah, totally. Um, so super excited to share that type news popping around. Next up, we have a really well done typographic rebrand for a theater in New York. And it's done by a couple designers that were doing it pro bono. One of them is Andrea Tribuco Campos. Andrea previously was an associate at Pentagram and called on his friend and collaborator, Javier Arizu, who's from the New York-based studio Practica. And they kind of took on this project to rebrand this theater. And the result is like really appealing and uses a lot of different typefaces. They actually were inspired by wood-inspired typefaces from the Pite Foundry, which I didn't know about this foundry, but they have a bunch of post-industrial era typefaces, and they feel like they're from a different era, but they feel really modern in the interpretation that is done for this rebrand. And I think they created their own grotesque font as well, which is really 
nice to look at. Yeah, there's a lot in this. I mean, this article isn't super in-depth, but like you can tell from the images that are shared here that almost every poster or postcard here is using a different vintage-looking font in a very postmodern context. Right? Yeah. It, I mean, I'm personally I just, I not a huge fan of like postmodern art, but it is really interesting that they have that kind of contrast and that even even in this like their whole theme here is highlighting the show, right? Which makes sense. Like you mm-hmm. get to know a theater mm-hmm. for making great shows, but you are there to see a show. And so the show is literally at the forefront because there's like in, it's in front of like 10 cards that are stacked visually. And it's overlapping the name of the theater in every one. Yeah, I just, I think it really captures this energetic essence and, you know, feels theatrical in execution as well, but in a way that doesn't feel silly. It feels like, you know, it's taking itself seriously. I just like haven't seen anything like this that I can think of off the top of my head. So just like really exciting to share this with everybody. Andrea is a teacher at SVA the School of Visual Arts, which is like a fairly well-known art school. I've seen Andrea's uh, work previously just for inspiration for brand identity. I think um, he executes them really well. I think he did the MasterCard brand identity most recently, like definitely high-profile mm. stuff in his portfolio because he was from Pentagram. But it's exciting to see new work come out. And I think like really well-done work. So, so she's got to be interesting Peter- to be like a student and know a teacher from going to school and then see their work like super famous written up on blogs and like big companies and stuff. That's gotta be cool. For sure. I feel like SVA always got the advantage. They always had the best professors. Mm. Sorry, Pratt. I did like the Pratt professors, but all the SVA professors were kind of like celebrity designers from what I remember. I guess we had a couple of those at my school in Los Angeles. Like Chris Doe was... Well, he wasn't a celebrity at the time, but I guess his company was still, I suppose, blind mm-hmm. and imaginary forces. Oh, right. Like it was it was so weird to to be like, shoot, my teacher just like got a deal with Marvel. You know what I mean? Crazy stuff. That's awesome. I mean, and the theater, sorry, I don't know if we mentioned this, but the theater that this rebrand is for is called Irvington Theater. It's just a little north from new york city up the hudson river but you know speaking of imaginary forces and title design which is what imaginary forces is famous for our next article super excited to share um is a really in-depth look at the title design from uncut gems which is a movie that came out last year um directed by the softy brothers starring you know adam sandler in a very serious role adina menzel keith stanfield incredible movie mega has not yet seen it the title got a hold of josh softy one of the directors and they talk about the complete process from again another amazing process article from start to finish on how they design these title slides there's multiple layers to those title slides in uncut gems we kind of start with these two men peering into a gem and then like we go into this gem which we find out is created with cgi so it talks about like all the tools they use and then in the gem the title comes together on cut gems apparently they did like 50 different titles for this because it took that long to land on something they liked which was just like each title took three or four hours because it was all cgi so shout out 
to the hardworking tile designers behind The people us. who are patient enough to let that kind of thing render. The director um, kind of has a love for graphic design and really appreciates it. And he actually says at the end of the article, he has refused any interviews about Uncut Gems in a long time, except when the art of the title contacted him because he just huh. loved their blog so much. Which is really sweet. But yeah, so they talk about, you know, how they got to where they did their type choices. I think one of their main type choices is old school, kind of looks like original Roman stone carving, like a mix of the serif and sans serif look. And it's interesting. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, but it's just funny because in my brain, I didn't first think Roman stone carving. I first thought Indiana Jones. Interesting. And so that's one reference. Another reference they talk about is like horror movies. Like if you think about The Exorcist, like similar vibes. And it's mm. just like amazing how, you know, this typeface has been just reappropriated throughout the years. Um, so they talk about like why they decided to make that choice. And it honestly had to do a little bit more with horror movies. If you don't know about Uncut Gems, it's not a horror movie. It's just like a really stressful movie, but it's great. It's great. <laughs> that's a good really way. Good. I, yeah, I obviously you said I haven't seen it yet and I've been meaning to, but it's because it seems so stressful and I kind of need to wait for a moment in my life when I'm like, I can handle a little bit of entertaining stress. Yeah, definitely entertaining. I rewatched the title slides, which is like five minutes long this morning. And I like my blood pressure definitely raised. <laughs> <laughs> but Again, it's just a really interesting interview and anyone interested in title slides or uncut gems or both, I just like ate it all up. It was so much fun. Now is actually kind of a cool time to take a break and say, hey, thank you to our sponsors. Thank you to Adobe for helping to sponsor this week's episode. Their creative suite is one of the standards of design software and comes with a subscription to like a giant library of fonts that you can install, embed, use pretty much however you like. We've even got a few of our fonts in their library as well, if you're looking for those. And uh, we are grateful for them supporting the community with us. Totally. And thanks, too, to our members. Um, if you don't know, we've got a small and wonderful membership where for a tiny amount every month, you get awesome extra resources in our weekly typographic emails every week. Those are cool fonts that we found that you might want to add to your arsenal. Current jobs or gigs you might be interested in. Um, at the moment, it's only $5 a month, and we're upgrading a bunch soon. So hop in now if you want to get those goodies next week. Last article, kind of a funky experimental one from It's Nice That, and that's body experimental type visualizes human movement through typography. So it talks about this uh, type designer, Hao Chang Zing, and he's been working on this project that finds the connection between typography and the fluidness of the human body and the performance and emotion that the human body can convey. It's kind of crazy. Humans have always been obsessed with trying to like connect typography and the human body. And uh, you might look at this. I mean, I looked at this and I was like, what the heck is this? But it's still an interesting perspective, even if you don't normally go for this kind of thing. You know, you kind of got to appreciate on some level, no matter how you feel about it, you got to appreciate the fact that like, it takes some courage to be an artist and do something weird and put it out there and like, be proud of it no matter what people think. So, you know, respect. For sure. And it's definitely something that I've certainly never seen before. Definitely feel feels like a graphic design master's program project and thesis, mm. which I think it is. Mm. Um, 
But again, total respect for like the courage to make this happen and look at people thinking out of the box for typography. Yeah, totally. Okay. We are here. You always sound we... so dramatic when we get here. It's like the best part of the podcast. I know, but I, I gotta like add some different rhythm. We're in like a different <laughs> flow. We're not boom, 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 nerd alert flow. Okay. <laughs> I got an update on the sound. It's coming. Yeah, that's samples. the same update we've gotten for the last like six months. <laughs> I'm, getting sa- I'm getting samples later today. Yeah, Just you yeah wait. sure. I'll believe that's, it when I hear That's what I've been told. <laughs> In any case, we are diving this week into the difference between a font versus a typeface. And I'm, I'm hoping we can kind of start with the bare basics and then get into the crazy interesting other stuff. For sure. So if we're going bare basics, I actually referenced a bunch of my favorite type books and people to make sure that like I was just making sure that I had the right information and I could give it to all our listeners correctly. I've actually been have suffered from getting multiple definitions of what a font is and being quite confused for several years. Mm. But I think I've gotten to the bottom of it. So I'm going to start with like, you know, what we published. We've had this great article we included in the newsletter. It's kind of an oldie but goodie of ours called Font versus Typeface, where we write about the definitions from, you know, Micah, your voice. But I'll start there. And I still think it stands true, which is a typeface is the design of the letters, the concept, how the letters are drawn. And then a font is a piece of software that a type designer makes to get the drawing in the hands of the computer, in the hands of the user, that it's ready to type with. So that is the difference. You know, we see a typeface, we use a font. And a Mm. simple way to know the difference is a font is a file and the typeface is an idea. Yeah, I like that. I think that's very clear, especially for beginners and like people who aren't even designers. That's like a, a much easier approach to this definition than I think other things we have seen. But there's a lot behind that still, right? Absolutely. So I think I was confused because when I was in art school, I was told that a font is a specific weight and point size of a typeface. So that Times New Roman 12-point bold was a font. And then Mm -hmm. I got really confused because I wasn't told a font is a software or file or anything like that. I was told that it was the specific weight and size of a typeface. And I, I want to talk about like why I was told that because in our historical metal type days when type was first a thing for like 400 years, <laughs> um, a font was, you know, a physical embodiment of a set of, of glyphs ultimately. And in metal type, you know, the fonts were a specific size um, and a specific weight because you had to make a certain size of Times New Roman 12 point, and then you had to make a certain another set of letters for Times New Roman 20 point because it was metal type. There was no That's so that interesting. That suddenly makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Because like the idea is literally the same. It is yes. that the typeface was was always the idea of the, the drawings of the letters, what what we thought it should look like. And then the font was always turning that idea into something you could use. Mm-hmm. Like some sort of object that you could interact with and make typography on paper, right? Or exactly in our case, on a screen. Exactly. So historically, that is accurate that a font was a specific size, determining the size of the characters um, and a group of letter forms. And it was a physical embodiment. You know, today, that's why I think there's so much confusion around the topic because it is 
file. It is a software. And I think that's ultimately why a lot of us have given up on, you know, distinguishing the two. And I think like in, in probably like 90% of the world, it's fine to just kind of use them interchangeably. And even like when we talk, I think it's okay most of the time to use them interchangeably. But it's ultimately interesting that knowing the distinction is important when it comes to the law and when it comes to licensing. And this is straight from Thinking with Type, a great resource that I love by Ellen Upton. And that is, intellectual property law in the U.S. protects the font as a piece of software, a unique set of vector points. But it does not protect the visual design of a typeface, therefore illegal to share fonts with people and alter characters and save it under a new name or an existing name. So you can copyright a font, you can't copyright a typeface. Because the typeface is this idea, it's the look of the letters, it's not the physical file or software. Yeah, I think as we've been finishing up our book on font licensing that we are hoping to launch in the next few weeks that goes into all the stuff that you'll need to know, that was one of the really most important sections that we needed to make sure was in there is to say that like in the eyes of the law, at least in the US, the typeface, like the law kind of sees it as letters, like an alphabet, like you can't copyright the alphabet. Even if you drew it a totally unique way, the way that copywriting works in the legal system, it would consider those letters the thing that you were trying to copyright. And they'd be like, come on, everybody needs the alphabet. You can't copyright the letter A. And so there's lots of protections for software. Like imagine how protected something like Adobe's Creative Suite is in their intellectual property or Microsoft Word or uh, Zoom, you know, like there's all this code that goes into making a unique piece of software that we have had a handle on copywriting for a long time. And so when you kind of apply that to the idea of a font, that file that you are installing is a piece of software. It is like an app that you are installing on your phone. Yeah. And I think that kind of leads to a quote I found from Tobias Fair Jones, who's also a renowned type designer, who said, for most people in most situations, the terms font and typeface can swap around without any trouble. This distinction would matter in type design, obviously, but also contexts which involve engineering like app development or web design, which is super interesting because, you know, you have to be aware that the font is software, typeface is what everyone's like looking at the design. I think something that I also found interesting in Ellen Lupton's book was that it, it is legal to create new digital versions of printed type. You could print out an alphabet in Helvetica, redraw letters, then digitize that with font design software and call it bespoke Helvetica. I mean, it's the reason why we have a gazillion Baskervilles, a gazillion Bedonis, you know, that- It's the reason why League Spartan and League Gothic exist. And Fanwood exactly. and like so, like so many of ours have actually been, you know, what we've described as revivals, which is like, mm -hmm. let's take this old font that we found in an obscure book and let's draw it ourselves. And often in the process of drawing it yourself, there's like little quirks that you come up with that weren't in the original, but still like it's extremely close. Like, okay, so League Spartan is a redrawing of a font named Spartan and Spartan mm -hmm. was basically a redrawing of Futura? Yes, yeah, Futura has so many. Um, and I know Douglas Thomas's book, Never Use Futura, talks about like all the different Futuras that existed from all the different foundries because every foundry wanted their own 
type of Futura when metal type was a thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's kind of what started the whole idea. And it's kind of just has continued and continued. And I just think it's really fascinating. And at that point, you do need to know the difference between a font and a typeface because you can't tell someone you can copyright a typeface when you really mean that you can copyright a font. And right. I think in the same vein for licensing, and this was a question I got from a student of mine a few weeks ago, um, was that can you alter the outlines of a font for a logo or a headline? And yes, you can. You can't alter the font design software though. So you can't open up Helvetica and a, a proper non-open source Helvetica. You can't open that up in a font design software and alter it a little bit and then kind of use it. But you can open Helvetica in Adobe Illustrator, vectorize the outlines, and then mess with it and make whatever finished product you're going to make. And we talk about that a little bit in the book as well. Yeah, I, we actually go pretty detailed on that. In a, you know, it's I think it's still a very approachable answer to a confusing topic, but it's a matter of like the outlines are drawings. Someone can't take, you know, your poster and turn that into a font that they could sell where then it's like jeopardizing the original font that you had, uh, you know, like jeopardizing that font's ability to sell. Mm-hmm. And so like those individual customizations are not that different from drawing it yourself. You're allowed to mess with it in a very closed box, you know, where you're not sharing that as some other font that people are allowed to download and use. With the exception of which, of course, is, like you said, open source. Yes. Yeah, exactly. And we go into, you know, the details around open source as well in the book full of gems um one we keep referencing this book so we i mean we've kind of hinted at it but we have been making this book on font licensing like making sense of font licensing is at least the working title at the moment because uh it's such a confusing topic right like all this stuff there's so many of these weird details where if you haven't even heard some expert telling you an answer you're kind of like what the heck can i do what can't i do what the heck and so we have been compiling all of this uh knowledge into like font licensing isn't fun right uh but it's stuff you need to know so that you don't get sued or in in any kind of other trouble legally and so or like like, or spread false information Right. Like, you know, I think that's important. I think a lot of people understand licensing because they ask a designer friend and like you want to be the designer friend that can give them the right answer. I always enjoy being that designer friend that can help people out when it comes to licensing. I think that's equally important, you know? Yeah. So we tried to compile all of the well-researched answers into something that is as approachable as your designer friend. Make it a quick read so that you know the stuff and then you don't have to question it anymore i'm very excited for it to come out i'm working on the cover right now everybody yeah it's we're still so fun. we you know we've like finished the drafts everything looks good we're like turning it into an official book and we'll obviously keep you posted when we launch that and you guys are the first to be in the know so pat yourself <laughs> on the back so the last thing i actually wanted to end on this font versus typeface debate is that some people are still saying that you know a typeface is a family of several fonts I think that's like still kind of fair because, you know, you have a different piece of software for your bold font, for your italic font. Sure. But I think that definition is ultimately going to be rendered obsolete the same way that the point size, you know, your font, it has to be a specific point size is going to be obsolete because eventually like we may see a future where all of our font files are variable font files. Um, And ultimately that means there's one file for all your weights, all your sizes, all your, you know, widths, 
And then ultimately, I think the font is going to be defined as a piece of software that allows you to output the design. And I think that is like the world we're moving to. That's my prediction. That's not as shocking a prediction as I thought it was going to be. I mean, we already have fonts, variable fonts that change weight. Uh, We already have variable fonts that change width. And there's a few very crazy variable fonts that like change all manner of weird things that we're not expecting. And there's a few that we've seen. I think we talked about a few weeks ago, like recursive is an open source variable font Mm -hmm. uh, where they have an italic built in, right? Mm-hmm. And so you can adjust the italic dynamically with a slider between not italic and italic. I don't think we've really seen one font yet that combines all of those things. That's true. But it's like a matter of time, right? Right. Yeah. And it's interesting because many years ago, this is me getting nerdy, but many years ago, Apple tried to make a format to have one file for an entire family of fonts all styles mm-hmm. and weights and whatever. I think it was called, the extension was like Dfont or something. I probably shouldn't okay. say that without actually researching it. But I remember that they made like a one file where they tried to make it easy to install the entire family. And nobody went along with it. <laughs> it was just Apple that, that did it. And so it like didn't work in all of the other software that you wanted it to work in. It was a pain in the butt. It kind of like just slowly faded into oblivion. And... Mm-hmm we kind of accidentally are getting back to that. Like that wasn't a bad idea. It's just, we now have this kind of new interesting standard that has been pushed very hard in the last couple of years of variable fonts that could very well just suddenly be the new default for everything. Yeah. I mean, I think we're going to probably start seeing more people getting on board with the idea of a font being the software, not necessarily the weight of a typeface is a Mm. font. Like I think that, that perception might shift. But anyways, definitely stuff that like we all should know about. Interesting conversation. If you have any other thoughts about this, like definitely let us know. But I think in terms of how it relates to licensing is a lesser talked about conversation when we talk about font versus typeface, but just as important. Yeah. Great researching. As always, Thanks. Olivia. I had a great time. You're a fountain um, of knowledge. Just, you know, with the help of my friends, aka my books. <laughs> Well, that was great. Hopefully that was helpful to everybody. Send us an email or say hi on Twitter or or the Instagram or something if you have any thoughts on this. We would love to hear what you think about this. If there's other stuff that you wish that we were going to start covering, we would totally want to know. We will see you next week with more links and more cool topics. And everybody stay awesome out there.